There were awesome promises, weren't they? Awesome promises that God gave to Israel. I want to invite you to join me as you would turn within your Bibles to Acts, the 13th chapter. These awesome promises that God gave to Israel. God promised a great inheritance. He promised them wisdom. He promised them victory over their enemies. He promised them peace. And in short, he promised them some wonderful, wonderful promises and blessings, didn't he? Did he keep his promises? Did God keep his promises? I want you to come with me in your mind as you're opening your word right now to Acts, the 13th chapter. Come to me, with me, to a Jewish synagogue. The year is A.D. 50, 50 years after Jesus has died and risen again. We find ourselves there in the synagogue. It's Sabbath, and there's a Jewish group of people that are there. They're worshiping, but they are still waiting, still waiting for God to fulfill his promises that he made to his fathers centuries ago. He, they are still waiting. In fact, they just could not figure it out. They're still not a great people. They're still, they don't have any victories over their enemies. In fact, the Romans, uh, the Romans are heavy on them, right on their heel. They still do not have any peace. In fact, they have no king, they have no kingdom. They could just not figure it out. They just could not figure it out why things were the way they were. God had promised his people, the children of Israel, many, many years ago that he would do this and he would fulfill these promises. Even the ones that we read here in Deuteronomy, the 28th chapter, verses 1 through 13. Now there were a couple of visitors there that day, that Sabbath. And these people saw them and they, were, they welcomed them. They were thankful. They... They were there. In fact, it looked like they might have come from, from the home country. And maybe, just maybe, they might have a good word to share. They needed some encouragement. They needed some good news. And one of those visitors was a man by the name of the Apostle Paul. And, and he was invited to say something. And he got up. And are you listening? This, this, this was news that he shared. Such astounding news to these people. More astounding than they'd ever heard before. And it's found in Acts the 13th chapter and verses 32 and 33. With your Bibles open, let's read it. And, G, and this is Paul speaking and he says, And we declare to you good tidings that promise which was made to the fathers God has fulfilled for us their children in that he has raised up Jesus. We'll stop there. Did you hear that? Did you hear that message with the Apostle Paul just shared there? What God promised to Abraham, what he promised to David, what he promised to Israel, the Apostle Paul declares was fulfilled in who? In Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that? Here were these people. These people still waiting, waiting for the fulfillment that God promised to Israel. Still waiting. And this man, 
Paul gets up and he stands up before them and he gives them absolutely startling, brand new, good news that it already had been fulfilled. Already. And that's right. Fulfilled in Jesus Christ. In his life, in his death, in his resurrection. The New Testament calls it the good news of the gospel. Now, did God promise victory to the children of Israel? What kind of victory? The good news was that Jesus Christ, through the gospel, obtained that victory for them. Through his doing and dying, not theirs, but his. Did God promise to give them peace? Who gave them peace? I've asked Darcy Brown if he would read from Ephesians, the second chapter, verse 15. Who gave to them and to us peace? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15. By abolishing in his flesh the law with his commands and commandments and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making of them peace. Peace. Amen. Peace. Thank you, Darcy. God has given to us peace through the peacemaker, Jesus Christ. God also promised wisdom. Who do we have wisdom through? According to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, and I've asked Michaela if she would read that from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Michaela. Did God promise Israel that it would be great? What does the Bible say? In Matthew, the 28th chapter, verse 18, I've asked Anita if she would share with us who has given us this power. Matthew 28 and verse 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Amen. In other translations, all power has been given to me, Jesus Christ. Now, didn't he also promise to God's people inheritance? Where do we find our inheritance? According to Hebrews, the first chapter, verse 2. And Anita, would you read that as well for us? Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. In these last days has spoken to us all in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Amen. It's found in Jesus Christ. With your Bibles open, if you would turn with me to 2 Corinthians, the first chapter. 2 Corinthians, chapter 1. Now, I can imagine some of you thinking, well, my, it's clear to me. It's so clear. It's right there in the Word of God. Those Jews just didn't get it. They just didn't get it. And I say this out of kindness, friends, but, but uh, many of our Jewish friends still don't get it. And I say this out of a loving kindness to this very moment. There are many Christians that still don't get it. Even Adventist Christians who don't get it yet. Why? Well, the Apostle Paul, first of all, he got it. And many Adventist Christians and much of Christianity have gotten it. Well, what have they got? 
What have they received? Well, they have got, they have received what the Apostle Paul declares right here in 2 Corinthians, the first chapter, and verse 20. Everybody there? Notice what it says. For all the promises, what does it say? All the promises of God are in Him, are yes, and in Him, amen, to the glory of God through us. I like the way the Revised Standard Version translation puts it. It says this, all the promises of God find their yes in Him, in Jesus Christ. Even the awesome promises found in Deuteronomy, the 28th chapter, verses 1 through 13. That is to say that when God, the Son, Jesus Christ, when He lived a perfect life, when He died a perfect death, when He rose victoriously for you and me, when He did that, He fulfilled all those awesome promises for us in Himself. And so what did Jesus finish? What came to an end when Jesus Christ lived that perfect life, died that perfect death, and rose again, what came to an end? Well, some of it will make sense to you. First of all, the blood of the sacrificial animals came to an end. Secondly, the need for a Jewish temple or a Jewish sanctuary came to an end. Jerusalem and the Holy Land had also fulfilled its function in Jesus Christ. And yes, even the seven feasts of Israel find their yes in Jesus Christ. With your Bibles open, turn with me, if you would, to Luke 24. Luke chapter 24. You see, all the feasts were not only a reminder of great events for the children of Israel, but each one of these feasts were types, they were types of great events that would take place in salvation history. And today, we want to say, by reading these scriptures, that even the Feast of Israel find their yes in Jesus Christ. So I want you to catch the picture. The time is A.D. 31. Jesus Christ has risen from the grave. And he's now walking, as it were, a stranger. Uh, unknown to two disciples that are making their way to Emmaus. And these disciples that are making their way to Emmaus are kind of distraught, very discouraged. Their whole world has fallen apart. And it's recorded in Luke, the 24th chapter, and verses 13 through 32. But what I especially want you to know is how Jesus brought joy, what he brought light to these dejected men. Notice what he says here, Luke, the 24th chapter, and verse 27. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He began to do that. And later, those disciples, as they heard what he said, they were no longer dejected, they were no longer discouraged, but they were filled with joy and hope. In fact, verse 32, with your Bibles open, Luke 24, verse 32 says this, And they said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? Now the only kind of scriptures 
that these disciples and Jesus himself had to explain to them was the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus explained the Old Testament scriptures. And here it says it again. Let's read it verse 27. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He explained to the disciples, those two disciples, dejected and discouraged, now encouraged. He explained to, uh, to all the people, the Jewish people. They did not, they had read it, they had practiced it, and yet they did not understand it. You see, they had come up with their own ideas, preconceived ideas of how the Messiah would come. You've read it many times as you've studied the New Testament and you've wondered, why is it that you aren't getting it? They had permitted the grand truths of the feast days to become just a pure ritual. They were going through the motions, not really understanding what they were doing. And so thus, as Jesus has risen from the grave, they do not understand. They continue to celebrate as if they were really still meant to do so. And yet, they had been fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Have you ever wondered, in the light of the fact that Jesus is explaining to them about the seven feasts of Israel, how they were fulfilled in Him, wouldn't it have been awesome to be able to be just a little fly, maybe right on His, on his shoulder, and listen to that Bible study? I would have loved to listen in. I would have loved to, to hear Him open up the Scriptures. And as He opened the scope of the plan of salvation and explain the spring feast of Israel and how they were fulfilled in him. And not only that, but he also helped them to understand the fall feast, the autumn feast that, that we talked about, the grandeur of the coming judgment when all that is right and wrong in this old world will be open for inspection. Evil will not triumph forever. Aren't you glad for that? Jesus Christ, who is not only our Savior, but Jesus Christ is alive and well, and He lives for us in heaven above. He's our great high priest, and He's for us and not against us. And so when Jesus finishes His awesome work, even in the heavenly sanctuary, He's going to come again. It's all talked about, all explained in the autumn feast. And so, wow, what the Bible study that, this, that Jesus gave that day 31 A.D., on the road to Emmaus, must have been something as they listened. Because it showed that the Feast of Israel, the seven Feast of Israel, find their yes, their yes, in Jesus Christ. Today, as we come to celebrate the Lord's Supper, instituted by Jesus himself as a declaration of the fulfillment of the Passover feast, we, we come also to this time of preparation for the Lord's Supper. Jesus also instituted that Thursday night the ordinance of foot washing. And at the ordinance of foot washing, I want to declare, I want to, I want to acknowledge that I believe that Jesus Christ fulfilled those 3,000 promises in the Old Testament. And whether it be the blood of sacrificial animals, he fulfilled that. Whether it be the Jewish temple, he fulfilled that. Whether it be Jerusalem and the old holy land, he fulfilled that. Whether it be even the seven feasts of Israel, 
they all find their yes in Jesus Christ. Will you join me today as we prepare for the Lord's Supper and celebrate the fact that Jesus has fulfilled. Jesus is the answer. All these are yes in Jesus Christ. Today we've come together to celebrate the antitype, the real fulfillment of the seven feasts of Israel found in Jesus. And as I've gone through the feast of Israel and their fulfillment, they really are a summary of some of the key truths that as Seventh-day Adventist Christian we believe in and we base our whole lives upon. Upon a life that we never lived and a death that we never died, we base all our eternity in the crucifixion of Christ. And because we've accepted him, we have fellowship with him. We want to take time to get to know him more and more and to have the assurance to know that not only do we have this life in Christ now, but know that Jesus is going to come again and our loved ones who have died in Christ because he rose again, our loved ones. And maybe you may pass away before Jesus comes. We have the promise because he rose, we will rise. Now as believers in Jesus, even today, this very moment, the Holy Spirit, because Jesus went to heaven for us, he has opened the way where we can have the benefits of what he did on the cross of Calvary. He has given us the Holy Spirit and will let us allow him to take more and more control of our lives. And of course, this awesome feast, the Autumn Feast, is the warning on 1834, 10 years prior to 1844, proclaimed that a judgment would take place. Something would happen in heaven. Get ready. And just as God promised that it would happen, it happened. The Day of Atonement, the real Day of Atonement, took place in heaven. And as we've said it before, let's say it again, we have a lawyer up in heaven and he's never lost a case. Put your trust in him. And when he's finished with his work, he's going to come again. If you're right with God today, you're ready if Christ should come today. Every Bible truth that the Feast of Israel point to and are fulfilled in Christ is filled in Jesus. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it, this child and forever I am. It's a wonderful message, isn't it? Redeemed, a child of God. And we come to the Lord's table today accepting his acceptance of us in Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. So I want to welcome you to the Lord's table. Jesus instituted what we call the Lord's Supper, that Thursday night, 31 AD. It was supposed to be the Passover. They were right in the process of the Passover feast when he started to do some things differently, and that we do today, the Lord's Supper. As we take part in the Lord's Supper, let's celebrate the seven feasts of Israel. In other words, let's celebrate the antitypes of what Jesus has done for us. I'm going to ask both our elders to have the prayer for the grape juice and for the bread. Father, I do want to thank you for the privilege of taking part in this service. Lord, you came and you sacrificed for us. You became the bread of life for us. I do thank you for that. Thank you for the love that constrained you to come and to give your life for us. Help us to accept that, to make it a part of our lives. Amen. Father, we cannot thank you enough. Help us to remember the ultimate sacrifice that you sent Jesus down for us. And all we can do is offer him our hearts, such as they are. Please be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
think of the awesome seven feasts of Israel and how they are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. For as I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take heed, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye, as oft as ye drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Till Jesus comes again. May God be with you and draw close to you in the years and the months ahead. God bless you all. The best is yet to come.